Tonight we're going to be in Lamentations. Let's go ahead and open up there as we begin this book that is kind of a tough book. As we journey through the Bible, we now come to the Lamentations of Jeremiah. This morning I received a funny text message about a gal who was kind of making a point about men, but it was more of a jab about men. I found out that her favorite scripture is Numbers 2319. The New Living Translation says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. An implication being, uh, men lie. Do, do men lie? Or, or, or do they lie more than women? I, I don't know. That's what she kind of seemed to be imply. <laughs> you know, sometimes we see men do lie. Uh, we know Revelation 21.8 says that liars won't go to heaven, so make sure that's not you. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting. Men lie. God is not a man, so he doesn't lie. And you know what? I want to know something that's so beautiful about the Bible is that God promises to bless obedience. And so none of us here are going to be perfect, but you know what? If you have a heart to be obedient, God will bless you because he promises to bless you. He will bless you if you obey. But if you choose not to obey, then God promises to punish God promises to discipline his children. And that's because he loves us. You know, God is not a liar. I will bless you if you obey. You guys, I know sometimes you don't see it, and you're like, Lord, I've been obeying you all these years, and I don't see nothing. Believe in God. He will, he's not a liar. He will bless obedience. And so make sure you're in the word and in prayer and in fellowship, and you're serving him. He will bless those uh, who obey but if you're living in consistent persistent insistent resistant sin god will punish god will discipline it's because he loves us i remember when i was a junior high uh, guy i was a young guy i think it was in the seventh grade i used to break into a school cafeteria and I used to steal snacks. Believe it or not, I just we just break in and we, you know, we get the donuts and the milk and the different things that they had there. And it was fun for a season, right? Until one day the police came in, and they scooped us up, and I got arrested. I got arrested, and they took me in, and they did all that stuff. Imagine me behind bars. Okay, can you visualize that? As a junior higher, it was weird. But guess what happened? I never broke into a school cafeteria again <laughs> because I experienced, I guess you could say, the, the discipline. And so this is what we're going to see happens to the nation of Israel. As we look at Lamentations, um, it's a tough book. I've got to be honest with you. It is a, a book, basically, it's a funeral dirge. This is what they would basically say at the funeral and so I'm going to give you guys kind of a long introduction. And today, Lord willing, we're going to go through the first two chapters. But Lamentations is the passionate expression of grief or sorrow or weeping. Uh, here we're going to see in Lamentations there are five funeral dirges. Chapter 1 is one poem. Chapter 2 is another. Chapter 3. And, and what we'll find is that as you go through these acrostics, uh, what we find is that they were um, basically um, in chapter 1, 22 verses. 
going through the 22 uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet, just like we would go A, B, C, D, they did the same thing all the way through the alphabet in chapter 1, chapter 2. Chapter 3, they went through three verses for every letter. And chapter 4, one verse, chapter 5, they didn't. So the reason they would do these acrostics is because, believe it or not, I know you might look at it and you think, no way, they would, they would memorize. They would memorize the Bible. And so I do want to, just as a quick side note, encourage you to memorize the Bible. You know, it's so cool. There's that verse that says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I think we've gotten kind of a little lazy. You know, we don't memorize Scripture the way that we should. And so you have to ask God to help you discipline yourself. They memorize the book of Lamentations and other portions of the Scriptures. You know, what we find is that God had disciplined His people. And it's something you read about four times in the Bible. You read about it in 2 Kings 25, 2 Chronicles 36, Jeremiah 39, and Jeremiah 52. Four times the same event in the Bible. Why four times? Because God really wants us to know this. God says this, I set before you blessings and cursings. You choose what you want in life. You know, for me, even as a pastor, God is always chiseling away certain areas of my life that he wants me to yield to him, to surrender to him. I want to be obedient to him in every area of my life. And you should too. This is what God promises to, to bless. But if not, if we think, oh, you know what, it's no big deal. God won't discipline. God won't punish. You know, God, a lot of people out there, they have the misconception that God is so nice. He would never send anyone to hell. God is so nice. You know, he would never strip uh, anyone of, you know, the blessings. You know, God is loving Believe you me, we know that because he gave his son to die for us. But he is holy and sin is real and hell is real. And we got to know these things. My prayer is that God would use this to kind of help us to have a healthy fear of him. And so the Jews, they actually read the book of Lamentations uh, every uh, year on August 14th because that's the anniversary of the Babylonian Captivity. It's interesting even today, you know, how the war is going on in Israel. Right now there's a, a ceasefire and we don't know how long that will last. Uh, I know the world uh, wants the war to end. But the question is, is Hamas um, still there? Are they still alive and well? Because if they are, then Israel has not yet won the war. It, it, to me, it's a really interesting thing because when you go to Israel today, if you're going to go to Tel Aviv, which in, in, the, in the secular mind, that's the capital of uh, Israel. We believe it's Jerusalem, but they say it's Tel Aviv. Anyways, um, you would see all these billboards and you would see these billboards of Jewish soldiers with the Hamas. These are actual uh, images that, that, that are down, and I guess you could say the images are of these soldiers having victory over Hamas. And so it caused a lot of controversy in Tel Aviv, but, but the words on the billboard are never again. 
never again. See, we can say whatever we want to say. The world can say whatever they want to say about Israel and all that's going on and all that they're doing in order to win the war and to purge themselves of this evil. But you've got to understand what they've been through. The millions of Jews that have been slaughtered and how they're surrounded by their enemies and how they need to expel the, the enemies from the region. And so, you know, it's interesting to me, we're still uh, looking today in what I believe to be probably uh, the last of the last days and there's Israel, boom, on the, on the top of the news every single day. And so looking at this, to me, I'm like, wow, Lord, it's amazing looking at the nation of Israel. The Bible actually is all about the rise and fall of the nation of Israel and how through them we would receive the scriptures and the Savior. But you know, the book of Genesis in chapter 11, chapter 12, right there it begins with the nation of Israel. And so this right here, the, the, the book of Lamentations was written by, Jerusalem, by Jeremiah. A lot of people wonder, well, it doesn't say specifically in the book, but it's interesting, the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, it has this prefix. Before the book starts, it says this, and it came to pass after Israel was led into captivity and Jerusalem was laid waste, that Jeremiah sat weeping and lamented this lamentation over Jerusalem and said. And, and so, you know, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it gives that, uh, that, that, that prefix. Uh, we believe it's written by Jeremiah for many reasons, not just the historical evidence or the, you know, the way that the Jewish uh, fathers believed it was Jeremiah, but even the internal evidence. When you look at the things that are written here, the style, and even the connections of the various verses throughout the book of Jeremiah. And, and so looking at this, um, I, I like what Chuck, Chuck Swindoll said. He said that the book of Lamentation is a reminder that sin in spite of all its allurement and excitement, carries with it heavy weights of sorrow, grief, misery, barrenness, and pain. It is the other side of the eat, drink, and be merry coin. So, you know, the world's mantra today is, uh, you know, just do it. You know, you're a guy, you go to the gym, you see a gal, she's pretty, she wants you, go for it. What's, what's the big deal, you know? I mean, just do it. And, um, and we, I was talking to a brother earlier today, and it's just so cool to see the way that he is in the world and God's using him in the world to minister to people that, you know, you guys are here at church, you guys probably hear this a lot, but, you know, I was telling him, I wonder if the world knows that God hates divorce. Does the world know that God hates divorce? Does the world know why God hates divorce? See, God hates divorce, and the reason is because he sees what it does to the family. Now, sometimes there people commit adultery, and God will allow divorce because he realizes that that deals the marriage a death blow, and that individual will never change. They will always be unfaithful. So God sometimes allows, he allows that in the cases of adultery or abandonment or sometimes even physical abuse. But what we find is that the reason God hates divorce is because of what it does to the family and what families when families eradicate which is what we see in our in our nation today what it does to society 
And so all I'm saying when you look at stuff like that is like, hey, there's a coin. The world is saying, eat, uh, drink, and, and be merry. I mean, you know, in a, in a sinful sense, you know, just do whatever you want. That's one side of the coin. Just have a good time, right? But the other side of the coin is the sorrow and the grief and the misery and the barrenness and the pain. What it does to the kids, what it does to those who are watching, what it does, what it has done to our society. And so Lamentations, it, it shows a, a lot of those things. You know, the, the English title is Lamentations, but the Hebrew title is different. The Hebrew title is the word Eka. Can you guys say that? Eka. I don't know if you pronounced it properly, but <laughs> I know it's something like that. It's E-K-A-H, Eka probably something like that in Hebrew, and uh, try it like that. Um, <laughs> and, and what that comes from is the very first word in chapter 1, verse 1, how. How. We see it again in chapter 2, verse 1, how. See it again in chapter 4, verse 1, how. Now, it's interesting that that would be their title. And, and in, in one sense, it, they're just saying, like, how could this happen? How terrible. This is that the women were raped, were ravished. The kids, the women with, who were pregnant, they were sliced open. And the kids were thrown out. I mean, the things that we saw Hamas do in one sense, it's interesting when you look at the way the devil operates. And sometimes God allows these things. He doesn't author them. But it's just how could this happen? You know, I was talking to a guy the other day when I went to a church and I shared my testimony. And, you know, praise God because God is the God of the second chance. Let me say this to you guys. Uh, you guys remember what John said? He said, these things I've written to you that you may not sin. But if you do, we have who? An advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. So I always have to kind of give that balance, you guys. I love you. I want you to go to heaven. I love you. I want you to be blessed in life. You love me too, right? You want me to go to heaven? Do you guys want me to go to heaven? You want me to be blessed in life? It's, it's not complicated. Follow God. You know, don't fall into sexual sin. You know, don't, don't go you know, on your phone and start looking at those images. You know, be so careful with the things that you're, you know, the drugs and the alcohol. You don't need it. You don't need to get drunk. You don't need to. To be a, a good person, to have fun, you don't need that artificial substance. All we need is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And, and so, you know, we write these things to you so that you don't sin because sin will mess you up. But, but if you do, and you're a Christian, if you do, thank God that we have forgiveness. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? You know, I was, I was talking to this guy the other day, and just, um, you know, he told me how he was just about to go on staff at a church, you know, and God had done this wonderful work, and he told me about how he got saved and how awesome and how on fire he was and how he loved the Lord and just all these amazing things that were going on. But, but just as he's about to go on staff at, at a church, he fell into sexual sin and he lost everything. He lost his wife, he lost his kids, and he lost the ministry that God had called him to. 
And now it's years later and he's trying to put the pieces together and God will forgive. But we have to remember there are consequences of sin. And this is why for me it's just so good to have a healthy fear of God. You know, not a weird fear where he's, you know, there ready to give you a trancaso, just the smallest things. But, you know, when you just go into it, eyes wide open. And, you know, for us, we have to know there are consequences. You know, when you look at this right here, one last thing before we dive in, and I think this is just important, is that uh, scholars have noted as you go through the book of Lamentations, the way that it parallels Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's basically God saying, if you don't obey me, these are the things that are going to happen to you. And I don't know if I can read all these things, but uh, Lamentations 1.3 says, she dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. That would parallel Deuteronomy 28.65. Lamentations 1.5, it says, her foes have become her masters. That would parallel Deuteronomy 28, 44, where it says uh, that the enemy would be the head, they would be the tail. And, and you go into all these uh, parallels. If you want, I could give them to you afterwards. But man, it's just parallel after parallel of God saying explicitly, specifically, that if you do this, then I will discipline you specifically like this. And like we said in the beginning, God is not a liar. He did exactly what he threatened to do. And I have to realize that in my own life. And so Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. We start in in verse 1 of chapter 1. It's Jeremiah's lament over Jerusalem's desolation. It says in verse 1, How lonely sits the city that was full of people, how like a widow is she who is great among the nations. The princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her, her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. And so it's interesting, this beautiful city. You guys know at one time when Solomon was there, you know, David and then Solomon, I mean, they were like at the top of the world, right? They were like the Los Angeles, the New York, whatever you want to say, those kind of cities But you know how they went from there to now? There's no one. There's no one in Jerusalem. The the temple has been destroyed. All the the, the glorious buildings have been destroyed. People have been carried away. And then eventually they end up, uh, we're going to see, even leaving and going to Egypt, the little that were there. And so Jeremiah here is just writing how she's now a widow. And widows in this culture were just considered, you know, helpless. They were considered the, uh, uh, just the poorest. You know, she was a princess at one time, but now it says in verse 1, she has become a slave. And so this would be in reference to forced laborers or individuals paying 
tribute. You know, when you look at this right here, it's interesting how it says uh, she weeps bitterly in the night, her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. You know, these are people or whatever nations that said, we love you. No, they didn't. They, when, when push comes to shove, when you're there in the situation, it's then that you find out who your real friends are. Oh, we love you. We're your friends. No, when it all came down to it, Ammon and Moab and Egypt, they weren't really their helpers. They weren't really, they didn't love them. They weren't really their friends. As a matter of fact, Moab and some of these other nations, they gloated when Israel was judged. You know, and there are some people like that, huh? They, they would love to see me fall. They would love to see you fall because they don't really love you. You know, this is what happened right here to the nation of Israel. Their lovers are gone. Their idols are gone. Their nations that they leaned on are gone. It says in verse 3, Judah has gone into captivity under affliction. And we're going to come back to that word, but that word affliction right there is found five times in chapter 1. And so verse 4, it says, the, the roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to the set feast. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master, her enemies prosper, for the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy. I guess you remember COVID back, I mean, it wasn't that far ago, but you remember how empty you know, like the freeways were, um, you know, these places where there's normally a, a large populace of people, I mean, just completely barren. In, in one sense, this is what Jeremiah is saying, these, these roads where people would go and they would, you know, for the feast, they would worship. They're all empty now. Her gates are desolate. Priests and virgins, this is what happens to them. And, and then in verse 5, her, her adversaries have become the master. Now, that's another word that's repeated uh, frequently in Lamentations. It's six times in what we're going to read today, chapters 1 and 2. Did you know that you have an adversary? And it's not flesh and blood. It's the enemy. You know, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if you all have at least one demon assigned to you. Now, does that freak you out or no? You're like, ah, no, Bill. First John 4, 4. You guys know what it says? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Amen? And so we know that, but, man, whatever you do, don't let your guard down. You know, we have an adversary. You know, the, the adversary is, what, is an opponent. You know, when you used to play football, you know, this was a guy that was right in front of you. You know, when you play basketball, hey, I want you to guard him. This is, your, this is your adversary. We need to know this. For whatever reason, Israel didn't, didn't think of the fact that they had a spiritual adversary. And, and so I believe this too, that the stronger you get in the Lord, the stronger the demon will be to come after you. 
I mean, if I'll tell you what, you know, I'm not the very, uh, very organized person, you know, by nature, but, I, but I'm realizing more and more that I got to get more organized in one sense and just more in love with the Lord and leaning on him because the enemy is very organized. And so we have this adversary. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so the adversary is the opponent uh, attempting to prevent us from being successful, prevent us from developing into stronger Christians. The adversary is harmful to us and unfavorable to us. And so this is what happened to Israel. They, they, it was doctrines of demons. It was these idols. And, you know, they, they lost their love for the Lord. You know, the, 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 the Apostle Paul, because he was so in love with God, it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, that a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. And so, I don't know, just want you guys to remember that this is what took Israel down. They didn't re- remember the fact that they had these adversaries. And so for us, we have to, you know, make sure we're wearing the armor and we're in prayer and the word and fellowship and have a heart to obey. You know, her adversaries had become the master. Her enemies prosper. It says in verse 5, however, it's interesting. It says, for the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. You guys ever have to spank your, your child? You know, I didn't have to do it a whole lot. You know, I could probably count on my hand, um, more or less, how many times I had to do the corporal punishment, you know, but um, it's necessary because of the fact that you love your children, right? And it's the corrective aspect of it. And this is what God does. Uh, this is what God did. Uh, God afflicted them. A really important psalm is Psalm 119, verse 67. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And that's kind of cool because not everybody uh, gets right, you know, when they get afflicted, when they get disciplined by God. You know, it's just like some of you probably had kids that you disciplined and they just didn't listen still, but there was that heart behind it when you spanked them, right? Probably the best verse on this is over in Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn there real quick. Hebrews 12. God will discipline us. It says in verse 3, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He's telling the Hebrews, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. How can you despise the chastening of the Lord? Imagine if what you're going through right now, and I got to be really careful with this, but maybe some of us are being disciplined by God right now. But you're not, you're, you're oblivious to it. You don't care. You're, you're, you won't change. You won't change. You won't humble yourself. 
You know what you're doing? When we do that, we're despising the chastening of the Lord. Hey, you know, I remember I went through it. I got, I got beat up a couple of times for different things that I did. And I learned my lesson. You know, I don't want to get beat up anymore. But you don't go on doing the same thing. You know, don't despise the chastening, he says there in verse 3. But, but don't be discouraged either. And sometimes it is just a rebuke. You know, a lot of people, you know, they don't like me deep down inside because a lot of what I'm teaching is the Bible and is very corrective. And, you know, so they, they don't like it. But God is the one. You know, he rebukes us, right? And he does it, it says in verse 6, because he loves us. And it's interesting in verse 6, it, it says, and he even scourges. You know, a scourging is pretty bad. You know, but I thank God that he does that to me. And I believe that if you're going through anything and it is God disciplining you, I believe that he'll show you. You know, don't, don't worry because sometimes we go through tough times because we're doing something right, like Job, right? And so at other times we're going through it because we're doing something wrong. God would never spank you without telling you, right? He would, he would minister that to you. He would communicate that to you. So for us, we just have to be sensitive. You know, whenever I get injured or something happens to me, I, have, I ask the Lord, Lord, you know, show me if there's any sin in my life. And usually he'll put his finger on those things that need to change. And so all I know is I hear they were afflicted in the book of Lamentations. And we see this word over and over again. But the only reason is because of the fact that God loves them. And so back in Lamentations, in verse 6, it says, And from the daughter of Zion, all her splendor has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture, that flee without strength before the pursuer. Have you guys ever watched those nature, you know, programs where they have the lion, you know, hunting the, the deer? You guys, you guys like those? Those are kind of cool, huh? Or whatever. Right, I, th- I kind of like them. Anyways, so, you know, the lion, you know, well, and a lot of times those deer, they're, or whatever it is that they're chasing, they're fast. You know, and they get away a lot. And so I like it when they get away. But imagine right here, he says, they're like the deer, they can't find no pasture, and they have no strength to run. You know, God had afflicted them to that point. You know, verse 7, In the days of her affliction and roaming, Jerusalem remembers all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old when her people fell into the hand of the enemy with no one to help her. The adversary saw her and mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem has sinned gravely. Therefore, she has become vile. And I thought that was interesting because today I was reading the book of Revelation Jesus said, um, well, I don't know. I've got to be really careful with this, but I'd, I'd rather you be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'll, I'll, I'll vomit you. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. We want to be on fire for God, right? It says right here, all who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and turns away. You know, I mean, that one time they thought so highly of Israel. They thought so highly of the Jews. They thought so highly of the um, United States of America. What, what happened if we got judged by God? 
this great nation, this great nation, this great Christian nation. Now, you know, I hope and pray that, you know, the only reason our nation declines is because of the rapture and all the Christians are gone. But I do know this, that there's a lot of sin here. At one time, they thought so highly of Israel, but now not. They see them being led away naked. You know, Isaiah, uh, when he was there prophesying, he actually walked around naked to warn them that if they didn't get right, they also would walk around naked. Now, he wasn't completely naked. He was partially naked, but it was to communicate a message to them. You know, and as I'm sharing with you guys, I hope you know I'm sharing with me too. You know, this phone right here, uh, it, there's so much pornography on here. There is so much cleavage on here. There is so much stuff that will mess a man up on here. And I, and I warn you, and I warn myself, don't come anywhere near it. Never. It's not good because if you feed the flesh, you feed that flesh, that's the guy that's going to get stronger. And this is why for us, we have to make sure that we don't feast on those things that are not of the Lord. You know, oh, a little drink here, well, what for? A little toke there, well, it's legal. That's what people say. No, you guys, we're, we're the Lord's people. And, and so we have to make sure that we we, we, we heed the warnings because of the fact that God wants to bless you in such a tremendous way and he wants to give you power and he wants to use your life. But the choice is ours, either the blessing or the cursing. And, and so right here, it says in verse 9, her uncleanness is in her skirts. And this is what I underlined in my Bible. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. Oh, Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. And I would encourage you guys, you know, consider your destiny. Consider it. You know, when I think of destiny, to me, it's a really awesome word. I think, wow, Lord, why did you make me? Why was I born? Why was I knit together in my mother's womb? And what, 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 what do you have for me? And it could be... I mean, I believe it's awesome, your destiny. And so consider your destiny. And we might not know all the details of it, but I do know this, that you were made for the glory of God. I believe with all my heart that you were made to help people, to encourage people. And I don't know the divine details and what it is for all of us, but I think it's really cool when you consider your destiny. Because as you consider your destiny, I know it's for God and I know it's for good and I know it's a blessing, then that might then help me along the way to, to not get sidetracked. You know, I've been reading a book, Mamba Mentality by Kobe Bryant. And so please don't judge me for that. <laughs> but I, 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 I love the, the work ethic of Kobe Bryant and and, and, you know, ever since I started reading the book, I'm reminded of another uh, quote. I don't know if it was Thomas Jefferson. I think it was Thomas Jefferson. He said, you know, the sun has never caught me in bed. In other words, he's always up before the sun. And, and you wonder, Kobe Bryant, you know, waking up at three in the morning every single day, the work ethic of this man. Why? Because he wanted his rings 
And so, you know, the, the thing about it is that um, Paul said they do it for a perishable crown. But we do this, we discipline ourselves for a crown that is imperishable. You know, you do this right there, and I remember when LeBron, you know, won the, the trophy, and yeah, he's a great basketball player, that's fine, he's a pretty amazing, I think he's 38 years old, right? And so I don't want to, you know, say anything too negative, but, you know, the last trophy he won, he's like, okay, now I get the respect. He said something like that, now I get my respect, and it's like, dude, you know, we don't live for ourselves, we don't live for our glory, because what could we do without God? I mean, who made LeBron tall? I mean, I'm sorry, you know. My father-in-law used to say, hey, they should raise the baskets because, you know, these guys are too tall. You know, it's kind of funny. (laughs) But all I'm saying is that, you know, consider your destiny and, okay, Lord, and now I'm, you know, you guys know I'm old, right? I I just had my birthday and I'm like, okay, Lord, now it's going to be something new. It's going to be a new season. It's going to be better. Because, Lord, I am going to surrender all of my life to you. And you're showing me things, and, and I'm putting them into practice, and you're even using Kobe Bryant <laughs> to do it. And so all, all I know is that right here, verse 10, it says, The adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly. This is when they went in and they plundered the temple, all the gold, all the silver, all the the brass, all the vessels. Um, That's what the Babylonians did um, after their third time coming in. Verse 11, all her people sigh. They seek bread. Think about that. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider for I am scorned. The other day, I, I thought we were out of bread. You know, I was going to make a turkey sandwich. And you guys know how turkey sandwiches are, huh? They're really, really good. And I thought we were out of bread, and I think I, I got mad and sinned. I'm like, what? We're out of bread? Turkey sandwiches. <laughs> Thank God we found them. We found the bread. But imagine if there was no bread. Imagine if there was no food. Imagine that. You know, you trade in whatever it is, your valuables, because without food, we can't live. That's where they were. And so we see next in verses 12 through 22, Jerusalem, in one sense, is personified, and they plead for for mercy. Verses 12 through 19 contain Jerusalem's call to those who had observed her desolation, and then in verse 20 through 22 contains Jerusalem's call to the Lord. And so verse 12, it says, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. From above he has sent fire into my bones, and it overpowered them. He has spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgressions was bound. They were woven together by his hands and thrust upon my neck. He made my strength fail. The Lord delivered me into the hands of those who I am not able to withstand. You know, and, and, and who was it that, that did this to them? 
Was it the Babylonians? Kind of. Was it the Lord? Yeah. But it was also them. It's interesting. He says he took my sins and he wove it together into this yoke that now I have to live with. You ever heard that saying? You made your, your bed, now lie in it, something like that, right? We, we do this to ourselves. And so hopefully none of you here have done it to yourselves. But if you have, ask God for forgiveness. Who knows? Um, he will forgive. He will cleanse. Don't chasten yourself. Let God take care of those things. Just serve him wherever you are. But whatever you do, you guys, just not go forward with sin. Because God loves you and God has this destiny for us that's so beautiful. I mean, it was the Babylonians and, and, and it was primarily, I think, the Lord allowing it. But it was also us. We did this uh, to ourselves. It says in verse 15, The Lord has trampled underfoot all my mighty men in my midst. He has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. And so they would, you guys remember, they would take the grapes and they would put them in the wine press. I mean, we're talking about stomping these grapes down and then the juice would flow out. That was always symbolic as like the worst judgment of all. And, and this is what they, they went through. It says in verse 16, for these things I weep. My eye, my eye overflows with water because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me my children are desolate because the enemy prevailed zion spreads out her hands but no one comforts her the lord has commanded concerning jacob that those around him become his adversaries jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them the lord is righteous for i rebelled against his commandment hear now all peoples and behold my Sorrow. Now, I underline that portion right there, you guys, because I think in one sense, this is what the whole book of Lamentations is all about. the, The Lord is righteous. I rebelled against his commandment. You know, Jerusalem is saying this. I we did this. I did this. The Lord judges me in his righteousness. But then he says right here, here. You guys in El Monte in, in 2023 who would be willing to come in a midweek service, maybe you're hoping to come and hear like a nice pat on the back. Good job. You guys are great, you know. I mean, but not all the messages are like that. This is one where God says, look at what happened to them. Don't let it happen to you. He says, hear now all peoples and behold my sorrow. Do you have many pastors have fallen? Do you know how many men, women, they were married and now they're not anymore? Even Christians, how they lost everything, single people were not willing to wait on the Lord. They went forward and they married a non-believer and they spent sometimes the rest of their life regretting it. And so what he's saying right here is, hey, make sure that you're, you're listening to, look at what happened to us the sorrow that we went through because of our sin. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called for my lovers, but but they deceived me. My priests and my elders breathed their last in the city while they sought food to restore or sustain their life. 
See, O Lord, that I am in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overturned within me. For I have been very rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves. At home it is like death. They have heard that I sigh, but no one comforts me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Some people are like that, huh? Oh, yeah, I heard about what happened to him. Yeah, he deserved it. (laughs) Bring on the day you have announced that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you and do to them as you have done to me. For all my transgressions, for my sighs are many, and my heart is faint. It's interesting how Jerusalem would pray that prayer, or it was Jeremiah, because eventually it did happen to the surrounding nations of uh, Judah as well. And so Lamentations 2, 1 through 10, here we see God's anger. It says in verse 1, how the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger. Now, the cloud would be representative of the fact that there is like a disconnection, like he can't see them, right? And so there's a distance now. He says right here, he cast down from heaven to the earth the beauty of Israel and did not remember his footstool in the day, notice, of his anger. And so God, I I know, you know, it, it may sound like, you know, the world doesn't think God can get angry, but he does. You know, guys, no, anger is not in and of itself sin. Sometimes we should be angry at things that are going on. The Bible says in Psalm 4.4, Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. And so think of all that's going on in our world today, our, our, our United States of America today. Uh, think of all that's happening today and I would venture to say that God is angry. Psalm 711 says he's angry with the wicked every day. All these things that are going on. As a matter of fact, 34 times in the book of Jeremiah, the, the, the word anger is mentioned, the anger of the Lord, and nine times in Lamentations, the anger of the Lord. And so sometimes even you might see things and you're just like, man, I don't get it. Why doesn't God you know, do anything about it? One day he will. You know, one day he will. It says in verse 2, The Lord has swallowed up and has not pitied all the dwelling places of Jacob. He has thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought them down to the ground. He has profaned the kingdom and his princes. He has cut off in fierce anger every horn of Israel. That would be probably the leaders, the ones with power. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy He has blazed against Jacob like a flaming fire, devouring all around. Now, now, um, most commentators will want you now to notice the word like. Okay, it's not that he is a flaming fire per se. It's like it's like a flaming fire. That would be important because verse four says, "Standing like an enemy, he's not our enemy." But but here we see it's just the 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 discipline is is severe. He has bent his bow with his right hand like an adversary. He has slain all who were pleasing to his eye. On the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. You know, when, when you look at this, I, to me, I think of that parable that Jesus spoke in Matthew 21, 
33 through 44. We don't have time to turn there now, but basically the Lord was just saying, you know, I'm sending you my son to rule over you. Are you guys okay with that? Uh, Are all of you here, myself included, are you okay to let Jesus rule your life, to be the Lord of your life? Well, the parable right there was they were like, no, we don't want this guy ruling over us. You know, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. And then in Matthew 21, uh, 44, it is, he finishes up the parable and he, he tells them, you know, you guys are in trouble because of the decision that you've made. But he says this, and whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, I'll be the first, I, I mean, I, I, if you guys know me, probably some of you guys know me, I would be the first to just say, hey, guys, come on a Wednesday night. Let's have cocoa and marshmallows and let's just talk about the love of God. You know, let's just make this a positive message, right? But I don't have that freedom. My obligation, my duty, my calling is to teach the word. And, and the truth is that mankind will either face Jesus as the lamb or the lion. Which do you choose? You know, when you put your faith in Christ, believing he died and rose again, and, and you crown him as the Lord of your life, I'm not going to just do whatever I want to do. I'm going to read the Bible to find out how God wants me to live my life. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to pray because I want to follow God. And so what he says right there is that if you fall on the rock, you'll be broken. And what that means is now you're broken of your own will. You've got the wild stallion. It does whatever it wants. But eventually, when it gets broken by the rider, now he does what the rider wants. He's broken. That's what God wants us to be, broken of our own wills. So he says if you fall on the rock, you'll be broken. Not my will, but God's will. Sometimes, you know, my wife, my kids, whoever it might be, someone, they cut me off on the freeway, and you want to get mad at them. Amen? You want to say something, man. You want to whatever. You can't. Because the Lord said, be quiet, Manny. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I'm sure there's times that they would love to get mad at me, but, you know, they can't. Thank you, Lord. They can't. Because the Bible says that we have to love one another and just show grace and stuff like that. And so all I'm saying is that right here, it says whomever the, the falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind into powder. And think about this big stone grinding someone to powder. You know, people probably more than likely don't want to think about what happens after you die. Is there really a heaven? Is there really a, a hell? Is there really a punishment from God? Yeah, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And this is why we have to be right. And and so um, verse 5, the the Lord was like an enemy. Remember the word like. He has swallowed up Israel. We already read that, huh? Um, Did I? Where am I now? Okay, verse 5. Okay, I'll just keep going. He has destroyed her stronghold and has increased mourning and lamentation in the daughter of Judah. 
He has done violence to his tabernacle as if it were a garden. He has destroyed his place of assembly. That's in reference to the temple. The Lord has caused the appointed feasts and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. Think about that, forgotten. In his burning indignation, he has spurned the king and the priest. The Lord has spurned his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has given up the walls of her palaces into the hand of the enemy. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as on the day of a set feast. The Lord has purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. That would be the walls of Jerusalem. He has stretched out a line. He has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he has caused the rampart and wall to lament. They languish together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. In other words, they've been spread out among the Gentiles now. The the law is no more and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. I mean, you know, there's no more the teaching of the word. You know, the, the prophets, there's no, uh, there's no vision. God is not communicating to them. The elders of the daughters of Zion sit on the ground and keep silence. They throw dust on their heads and gird themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem bow their heads to the ground. My eyes fail with tears. In other words, he can't even see because he's crying so much. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. It could be that he was vomiting just from seeing everything. Because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. They, they say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? As they swoon like the wounded in the streets of the city. As their life is poured out in their mother's bosom. How shall I console you? To what shall I liken you, O daughter of, of Jerusalem? What shall I compare you with that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is spread wide as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not uncovered your iniquity to bring back your captives, but have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. And so it's interesting here um, in the same time frame, remember the first siege, uh, they took away Daniel in uh, 605 BC. The second siege, they took away Ezekiel. And Ezekiel went over there and he warned them about the same thing that Jeremiah warned them about. And Ezekiel 3 and 33, he says that the watchman's responsibility is to warn the people that if they're living in disobedience, that God would have to either punish the non-believer or discipline the believer. And if he didn't warn them, then the blood was on his own hands. And so again, I haven't seen every uh, study by uh, someone like Joel Osteen, but a lot of people like Joel Osteen because he's such a positive you know, communicator. But he said that I don't want to talk about sin. And yet, the Bible does. And what he's talking about right here in you know, um, Lamentations about these people that didn't uncover their iniquity is that type of preacher who doesn't want to talk about sin and punishment and judgment and hell. I mean, we have to give the full counsel of God because I just know, we know, God wants to bless your life. 
but he can't bless sin. So again, we won't be perfect, but let's be sincere about following the Lord. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And so your friend might tell you, hey, you know, um, this is an area of your life that we've got to get right. You've got to get right. I'm praying for you. Can I help you? But, you know, the enemy won't say anything. He just gives you a big smooch <laughs> and is deceitful. All who pass by, verse 15, they clap their hands at you. They hiss and shake their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that is called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? All your enemies have opened their mouth against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Surely this is the day we have waited for. We have found it. We have seen it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has fulfilled his word, which he commanded in days of old. And I underline that as well. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has fulfilled his word, which he commanded in days of old, like I said earlier, he, he, he promised, I will bless obedience and I will punish or discipline disobedience. And so right here, Jeremiah says he did it, just like he said he would. He has thrown down and has not pitied and he has caused an enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the horn of your adversaries. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief. Give your eyes no rest. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift your hands toward him for the life of your young children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. Now let me just pause right there because what he's saying in verse 19 is, is arise and pray for your children. Arise. And sometimes, and it's interesting because it's in the night. Sometimes it's in the middle of the night. And you're like, man, I can't sleep. And so you turn the TV on. And God is saying, no, pray. You know, there's a lot of things that we could do for our kids. But nothing is as powerful as praying for them. Never underestimate the power of your prayers for your kids because there's no one that loves them like you, parents, and the Lord, right? And so he's saying, arise, and even though, you know, it's night or early morning, lift up your hands, pour out your heart for your kids. Verse 20, see, O Lord, and consider to whom have you done this? Should the women eat their offspring? The children they have cuddled? Should the priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? Young and old lie on the ground in the streets. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered and not pitied. You have invited as to a feast day the terrors that surround me. In the day of the Lord's anger, there was no refugee or survivor those whom I have borne and brought up, my enemies have destroyed. And so he's praying like, Lord, have mercy. I mean, and, and I know, you know, you're, you guys, this is a tough section of, of scripture. So if, if this is your first time today, um, 
well, welcome, you know. <laughs> but I will say this, check this out, okay? They were eating their children, eating them. Okay, what we're reading is not like some fairy tale. It's what happened to Israel when they were surrounded by the Babylonians for two and a half years. They had no food. When their child died, they ate them. This is what sin does. And you're like, Manny, this is a horrible section of the Bible. You know, this is a crazy section of the Bible. But check this out. God wanted the kids to memorize it. I challenge you, memorize the book of Lamentations. I should challenge myself, memorize this. Isn't that heavy? Imagine if you memorized it, how maybe God can use it, you know, to keep us on track. You know, God did what he said he would do. He's not a man. He didn't lie. He kept his word. And it's just a healthy warning for us. Let me just close with a few scriptures. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so, don't be deceived. Don't let them convince you into thinking that you'll be okay no matter what. No, if you do bad things, if you sow bad seed, then you'll bear bad fruit. But if you sow good things, spiritual things, then that shows that you're really a Christian, right? And so, the, at the end of the day, I, I want to end kind of on a positive note. And that is this. You know, for me too, um, I, I, even though I'm already, I just turned 35, I'm already getting older, man. I mean, I'm getting older. I, I'm still telling you, man, you can teach an old dog new tricks. I'm, I'm telling you. I feel like, like I'm sensing like a new beginning in my life, in my life. Um, I'm, you know, just, God is just showing me things. I'm super, super excited and, and I'm realizing this, that, that yeah, God promises to, to, to punish uh, or, or discipline sin. But let's close with this. He also promises to bless obedience. Do you believe that? I, I, let's hang on to that. I, I'm reminded of Joshua chapter 23 in verse 14 in which Joshua said, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. In other words, he was going to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. All the good promises that God gave to them and all the land, you know, that, that God said, hey, if you go in, I'm going to give you that land and it's going to be flowing with milk and honey and it's going to be amazing, amazing. Joshua now is, is about to die. He's talking to these people and he said, you guys, we've seen it, huh? How everything, all these good things that God promised to give us, we have experienced, we have received. And wouldn't that be awesome, you guys, 
if one day we're in heaven, you, we're in heaven, and I don't know if we're going to have an Almighty reunion or not, but we'll see how that works. And we'll be able to look each other in the eyes and we'll say, man, isn't it, isn't it just so true? Every, not one word of his promises failed. Wasn't it an awesome life? You know, this morning I was also reading in the book of Revelation how um, they had left their first love. And so the Lord just, you know, of course, I'm talking to the Lord about that. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, uh, for me, when I first got saved, obviously, you know, I, I still love God. But one of the songs I, I would listen to is The Great Adventure by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And today, uh, uh, when, I w- when I went to work out, I just got all my old songs, all my old Stephen Curtis Chapman songs. And I was just listening to them and just weeping, <laughs> Because the message of following God and answering the call and the great adventure when you give your heart to Christ is so amazing. And so, um, you know, for me, I think maybe there's an aspect of listening to old songs, new songs, I don't know. But, you know, God will show you guys how to do that. And so I pray um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, that today you would make a choice you know, to follow Jesus. If you have drifted away, then you come back because he has an amazing destiny. Not only a great life on planet Earth, but, you know, this amazing rewards that he has for you in heaven.